Well, good morning again. Welcome to First Methodist Mansfield. We have not met. My name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here. And what you just saw are a few images from the trip that I was just on. Got back this week. Uh, Sixteen other individuals in our church uh, were with me uh, in Guatemala meeting the kids that we are supporting in our partnership uh, with Zoe Ministry. And so I wanted you to see just a, a snapshot of what uh, that trip uh, was like. Uh, Doug, by the way, I didn't know you could paint that fast. That was amazing. That's really that's really great. That was, by the way, uh, Dylan's uh, first original song. Is that right? Am I, am I saying that right? Yes? Yes? So thank you, Dylan, for sharing that with us. And I think, I think that painting will be around here somewhere, maybe. Right, Doug? Yes? Okay. I got a thumbs up. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, well, if you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. If you didn't bring your Bible today, there is a blue Bible in the seat pocket in front of you, and you will find Philippians 3 on page 1825. 1825 is where you'll find that. And I want to encourage you uh, to turn there, and as you are finding that, uh, let me say a few words about what happened this week. So some of you were visiting another planet, and so you have no idea what happened. You were gone, but we had an election uh, this week. That, was that on anybody's radar out there? Anybody? A few of you were aware of that. So uh, just, a, just a couple things I wanted to share with you. In a season like this, I'm always reminded of uh, something that uh, Pastor Mike, our former senior pastor, used to always we say. Uh, he would say, I voted for Richard Nixon and then for Jimmy Carter, so what do I know? Uh, that, was, that was his comment about, about politics, and it's true that we know less than we think we do. But there are a few things that I think we do know. I think there are a few things that we as people of faith uh, can trust in. One of those is that no candidate will be the Messiah we may hope they will be. And no candidate is quite the devil we may fear they are. Instead, anyone who is elected to a public office is just like you and me. They are flawed individuals. And so as people of faith, when all the votes are tallied and the outcome is revealed, I think there's a few things that we are responsible for. If your life is like mine and you said, I want my life, I want to live my life as a follower of Jesus, I think there's a few things that, that we're responsible for. The first thing is to pray. Uh, to pray for those who have been elected to serve us, regardless of whether or not you voted for them, uh, but to pray for them, to pray for their families, to pray that God would give them wisdom because they have an impossible job that you would not want, and so you should pray for them. You should pray for God to bless them and give them wisdom and insight as they seek to serve our nation, but also to serve our entire world. The second thing, uh, you heard me say this many times over these last few months, uh, we talked about that in a world where everyone, it seems like everyone is tearing one another down, we are called to be builders of God's better world. And so if you, over these last few months, as we've gone through what for many of us we would say is the most divisive election season we've ever been through, if you found yourself holding fast to that commitment of being a builder, then pat yourself on the back. You've done a good job. You can be proud of yourself for not going along with the stream of those who have just engaged in the, the negative conversation. But if you would say, well, maybe I wasn't as good as I could have been, tomorrow is a new day. And maybe what you might do today is simply repent 
and say, God, I want to do better because I'm better than this. And my faith means more to me than this. And so I want to be a builder. Help me, Lord, to be a builder with other people in my life, particularly those who, may, who I may disagree with. And here's the third thing, and this is, this is something that we often forget in a season like that. We often take for granted that on Tuesday, many of us uh, did something that few people within the scope of human history have had the privilege to do, which is to participate in the election of those who represent you. We forget what a great gift that is, that there are people in our world who would, who would love to have that gift. And in the, in the scope of human history, there are many who have come before us who would love to live in a place where they have the opportunity, where we have the opportunity to, uh, to, to vote and to participate. And, and so it's appropriate for us that Tuesday was followed by Friday this week with Veterans Day and a remembrance of, uh, of celebrating those who have served us, served in the uh, various branches of the armed forces. And so that's the last thing I want us to think about is being thankful for that gift and being thankful for those who have served to preserve that gift. And so if you were a veteran here today, would you please stand so that we can recognize you and offer you our thanks for your service to our nation and our service to your service to our world. Well, all our veterans uh, please stand. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Over these last few weeks, we've been talking about changing lives. Uh, and in, the, in this last week, I had the chance again to be in Guatemala to see firsthand lives that you are impacting, lives that you are changing through your generosity. We've been talking about this because we said changing lives is the passion of our life together. That's what our life is all about. This work that we do as a family of faith is the most important work that any of us will ever get to do in our life because what we do makes an eternal difference in the world, that the product of the church is God's answer to the world. And so what we invest ourselves in, not only for our own lives, but for the lives of others, we are becoming the answers that God is offering to the hurts and the needs of a broken world. And that's why this work we do is, is of such vital importance. And so as we come to the end of this series today, you are going to have a chance to recommit yourself to this work that we share. Uh, now, if you call First Methodist Mansfield home, I know some of you have already returned this commitment card. Some of you, as soon as you get it in the mail, you mail it back. I mean, it's like express mail all the way back. And so you sent it several weeks ago. Uh, if that's you today, just bring the card that's in your, that's in your bulletin today uh, to the front after the service. You don't have to fill it out. We already got it. It's, it's fine. If you're a guest here today and you're thinking, oh my gosh, why did I come to church on this weekend? <laughs> That's okay. You can bring a blank card too if you're still praying about your commitment. This doesn't have to be all the way filled out, but I'm going to invite everyone at the end of this service to come and place these cards in these baskets so that we together can say, God, we want you to use our life and our life together 
to change lives. It's our opportunity to recommit ourselves to this work that we share. And we're going to look in Philippians uh, in just a moment. Philippians chapter 3, and then I'm going to read you some sections from Philippians chapter 2. But I want you to know a few things about the author of this letter that I think will add value to your hearing what he has written for you. Uh, so the author here is Paul. Paul's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And one, two things that I love about Paul is that Paul was a man whose life was radically changed. Uh, Paul, when we meet him in the book of Acts, is not a pastor, a leader who is expanding the church. He's actually working against the church. We, we meet Paul when the first martyr of the Christian faith, Stephen, is stoned. And what Acts tells us is that Paul is there affirming this act. He is an adversary of the church until Jesus gets a hold of his life, gets a hold of his heart, and transforms him, turns his life 180 degrees in a different direction, and Paul becomes one of the most prolific writers and leaders in the early church. Paul's life was radically changed. The second thing I love about Paul, and you find this throughout his writings, Paul never forgot that Jesus had changed his life. Paul never forgot where he had come from. Paul never forgot what his life used to be about. And he never shied away from sharing with anyone who would listen how much his life had changed, what his life used to be about, and how his life had began to move in a brand new direction. And what you see in Paul, what you hear in him, you'll hear it in what I'm about to read for you, is that this transformation in his life, it created a passion and an energy that he used each and every day of his life in the days following his transformation. He had an incredible, sharp focus for every single moment of life that he had the chance to live following his transformation. Everything that Paul did in his life was his response, his gift back for what Jesus had done for him. And so I want you to know those two things about him as you now hear his words from Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to begin with you about halfway through verse 4. So look with me real quick at that. Paul says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, uh, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now, I'm going to pause there because I know what I just read to you. For some of you, you're like, I have no idea what any of that means. And that's fine because you're not a first century Jew, okay? So you would not naturally know what Paul is just sharing with you. So let me interpret it for you this way, translate it in this way. Paul is basically saying this, in my old life, I had a definition of what success was. I had, a, I had a standard for what I was trying to achieve in my life. There was a person I was hoping to become. And these are the, the things that used to be of such incredible value to me in my life. And I had all of them. He, he goes so far to say, there's no one else who had more confidence that they had achieved the standard of success that I held in my own life than me. I had a resume that no one could argue with. I had accumulated all the things that I had an aspiration to have in my life. I had it all, Paul says, according to that old definition, according to that old way of living. 
I had everything. But now look what he says in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, all this stuff I used to think was so cool and I valued so much. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Listen to this. I consider them, everything I used to have, everything I spent so much energy and passion pursuing, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Look at, look at verse 10. I want to know Christ, Paul says. So this used to be the old way of life. This is what I wanted, but now it's about knowing, it's about knowing Christ. Jump down to verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. I'm still a work in progress, in other words, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget, forget what is behind, and I am straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul was a man whose life was changed, and what he says about that change is, is there, used, there was all this stuff, and it was, it was everything to me. But then when Jesus came into my life, and I looked at this, And then I looked at the value, the worth, the treasure of knowing Christ. What I realized was, this was just junk. It was nothing. It was a waste. My eyes have been opened. A new life has begun. And now, what I am pursuing is nothing more and nothing less than knowing Christ and being found in Him. So jump with me to chapter 2, and I know I'm reading this to you out of order, but again, I think chapter 2, what he says here in the beginning of chapter 2 makes a little bit more sense when you again hear Paul's own story and how his life, his way of valuing his life had changed so dramatically. So chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in his spirit, any tenderness and compassion... In other words, if this whole life with Jesus means anything to you, then he says, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. Love one another. Care for one another. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And in your relationship with one another, he says, have the same mindset as Jesus which in the next few verses, I'm going to summarize that for you. He says it's this way. Jesus had everything, and Jesus made himself nothing. Jesus had everything, and he emptied himself. He emptied himself of all his glory, and all his honor, and all his power, all that was due him. And he became not a conqueror, but he became a servant. And he sacrificed himself in order order to give us life. Jump down to verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, 
as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. These are the four questions that we said we were going to look at over the course of this series. What do we do? We are about the business of changing lives. How do we do it? That's what we talked about in week two. Last week, Pastor Jim talked to you about what resources are required in this work that we do. Today, we're talking about what is success? What does success look like for the church? What does success look like for you in your life, me and my life, and for us in our life together? Paul gives you an expression of that here, not only in the way that he lived his life, but in the way he invited others to redefine the trajectory of their life. And today, I want to invite you to hear another expression of what success looks like as you listen now to Amanda's story. I was a sophomore at Mansfield High School, and my soccer coach at the time was our special ed teacher, and he asked me to come help in special needs. So I went off to college. For some reason, I took a class on autism, and I volunteered at the Texas School for the Deaf as part of the cheering squad for their football games. So I did a lot of this. I really had no idea what that was setting me up for. I moved back to Mansfield and met my husband, had a baby, he's a coach, I had three businesses. Our jobs were more important than anything else. We weren't successful at our marriage. So after we divorced, I didn't want to have anything to do with Shane. I would make my mom do the exchange when he wanted to see our son Brody. We basically did not speak to each other. Shane's best friend from college, Brandon, was diagnosed with stomach cancer. I know the divorce was hard for him, but I can't imagine losing your wife and son and then losing your best friend. And looking back on that, I kick myself because I left him alone at the time when he probably needed me the most. I started coming back to church here, would just sit in the back row by myself and cry. It was almost just a wake-up call that this can't be the life I was meant to have. Uh, I was getting home after my son was asleep, and so I sold my stores and I came to work part-time as children's admin. That whole process of being poured into set me up for changing how I viewed Shane, my marriage. We were divorced for four years, and it was the day before Brody's birthday, Shane had asked to see him and my mom couldn't do it. So Shane came to the house and I look up and seriously our eyes locked and my heart changed. That's the guy I fell in love with. That's the guy I married. What am I doing? This is my family. I'm gonna fight for it. I took Brody to the water park for his birthday and I'm sitting there looking at him and he looks just like his dad. And I took a picture and I texted it to him. Before, I never would have sent a picture because I wouldn't feel he deserved it. For the first time in years, I sent him a text picture of Brody. Shane said that he was kneeling uh, next to Brandon's grave, praying for our family. He said, when I get back in town, do you think we could go to lunch? And I said, you can take me to church. That day, that message, it was meant for us. Pastor David talked about grace. And from that moment on, life kind of changed. Our family is important. We're gonna do whatever it takes. And then we had a second baby named Brandon. <laughs> After Shane's best friend, we said our vows again in the chapel, the same chapel. <laughs> this church was a place of 
healing. I would volunteer in special needs. The ministry started growing and I started telling Tina I had some ideas and she was supportive. They let me add a Bible study. We realized that the ministry was so big, they created a director of special needs ministry. My life is where it is today because of Grace. From high school, my soccer coach asking me to work with special needs, college I just volunteered, to now be at the church the first director of special needs ministry. I know now what God's plan is for me to advocate and serve individuals with disabilities. A couple months ago, I realized in church, I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because I'm so thankful to be here and that God put on my heart this ministry. So now I really do think when I cry, it's joy and I thank Him for doing the things he did and putting me here. Over these last uh, several weeks, you've gotten to hear a few stories, four stories of families whose lives have experienced change, but they're stories that represent so many more. Stories that uh, come from this family of faith, of people who have experienced a transformation. Amanda sent me a message uh, yesterday uh, reminding me, she, we didn't put this together in, in, in planning the, her sharing the story and what weekend we were going to do it, but uh, Shane and Amanda uh, were remarried on 11-12-13, uh, which was yesterday three years ago uh, when we shared her story last night, uh, Saturday night. And in that message she said, 11-12-13 was the day that grace won in my life. 11, 12, 13 was the day that grace won in my life. But the reason I wanted you to hear Amanda's story today is it doesn't end there. Success for the church is not just changed lives. Success for you in your life is not just, well, the church made my life a little bit better. That's one of the ways that we miss the point of faith. And sometimes we find ourselves falling away from our participation in a family of faith because we think to ourselves, well, I got all I need. That's not success. Success is grace winning in our life, but grace winning to the extent that we then are enlisted in the army of servants who are sharing grace with the world. Success is this, success is changed lives, whoop, committed to changing lives. It's when those who are experienced change then begin to allow that change to flow through them for grace that has won in their life to then be the grace that is then transmitted out into the world. It's not just our lives getting a little bit better. It's us experiencing the change and then in response having the chance to participate in the change that others receive. Uh, in April, I got to go to a conference and this was the question uh, uh, on the first night that the speaker began with. He began with this question, what would be different if Jesus were not a part of your life? Now, for some of you, that's one you've got to spend a little bit of time thinking about because you prayed a prayer a long time ago, and it's hard to imagine what would be different in your life today. How many decisions over the course of your life you would have made differently if, if, if Jesus were not a part of your life? In the first week, I shared with you that at 16, I prayed that prayer. I said, Jesus, I want you to come into my life, and I want my life, I want to give my life to you. 
And I share with you in that first week that when I prayed that prayer, I didn't know that Jesus was going to take it as seriously as he did. He really did. I mean, he believed me when I said that. I had no idea how much the trajectory of my life would change because I prayed that prayer that night. And I know that may, that may sound like such an obvious thing for the pastor to say. You're like, well, duh, you're a pastor. Of course your life changed somewhere along the way. But I want you to hear this, friends. The choice of a career path it only scratches the surface of how my life is different because of that prayer I prayed and because I said, Jesus, I want you to be a part. I want you to be a part of my life and I want to give my life, I want to give my life to you. Jesus has smoothed the rough edges of my life. And while some of you may be thinking, well, David, you've still got a little roughness there. You didn't know me back then, okay? I have a friend in this church who's known me for 20 years. And he observed me a few weeks ago in a stressful situation. And afterwards, this is what he said to me. He said, you know what? That's new David. And I went, what do you, what do you mean? And he said, I've known you a long time. <laughs> and that was such an affirmation for me. I, I appreciated him saying that. It was a reminder that there are things that have happened in my life. There are changes that have happened that haven't come because of me, but because of what Jesus has been doing in my life. I am learning what it means to live a life of faith and not a life of fear. And I can tell you with absolute assurance that I should not be living the life that I live today. Now, don't, don't misunderstand that. Don't mishear that. I'm not telling you my life is perfect. Don't believe that. Don't buy into that false assumption. That, oh, pastors' lives are perfect. Nothing ever goes wrong for them. No, 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 no. But what I want you to hear is that there is a richness and there is a joy and there is a peace that I know I don't deserve. And one of the reasons I know that, maybe you know this about yourself as well, I really know me. Are you with me? I mean, I know my demons. I know my capacity for self-centeredness. And so when I come to a question like this, I can't help but wonder what level of bitterness and heartache and pain I might have in my life today if Jesus hadn't put me on a new path and said, you're going to learn to live in a different way. There are many reasons that I believe in Jesus, but I will tell you that one of them is because I've seen what he's done in my life. I have seen how he has transformed me. And though I am not all I hope to be, and I hope you would say the same thing, I'm not all I hope to be, I'm not who I used to be. And that isn't because of me. That is only because of grace. Winning in my life. And teaching me to live in a very different way than I used to live before. I am well aware of the fact that on weekends like this, there are some who think to themselves again, oh my gosh, I should have slept in today. Oh, I didn't want to come on this weekend. They're talking about money. Let me tell you why I've never been uncomfortable talking about money and talking about generosity. 
from the time when I was 19 years old and I got my first job and I began to live into this practice of every $10, God, you get one. Here's why I've never, ever been uncomfortable talking about money, though I I know that some of you are hearing me talk about it. The number one reason is that generosity fuels the work God is doing in the world. My life has been changed because of someone else's generosity. Someone else gave to me, and because of that, I experienced a transformation. And as a pastor, I have the opportunity to see firsthand in multiple ways the way in which your generosity is changing lives. Last week, I had the chance to look in the eyes of kids whose lives have been now set on a new path, opening up a new future that they thought was never possible for them. And your generosity does that. That's the fuel that God burns up in this work that God is doing in the world. I believe in the work that we're doing. So I've never been uncomfortable talking about, you know, what it is that our, that our resources do. But here's the other thing that I have experienced in my life. And what I want you to hear is it's actually more important than this. It's more important than the fact that Nobody gives us free electricity and we, you know, we got to pay the bills. All that stuff that is true. It does fuel the work that the church is doing. It does fuel the work that God is doing in the world. But it also fuels the work that God is doing in you. When you step into the stream of God's grace, when you step into the stream of God's generosity, when you allow the blessing that you have received, when you see that not as, oh my gosh, I'm so good, look what I got, but rather recognize that grace has made everything in your life possible. And you get to open your hands and release that in the lives of others. Gosh, there is nothing better than that. And there's nothing more transforming to your heart than to allow grace that has won in your life to then begin to flow through your life into the lives of others. Here's what Paul says. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if this has meant anything to you in your life, then find your joy in the same place that Christ did. Not in the accumulation of blessings, but in the opportunity to pour that out into the lives of others, and into God's broken world. There is no greater gift. Nothing holds a candle to participating in the generosity that originates in the heart of God. And that's what we do when we give. We don't give our stuff, we give away God's stuff. God's grace and God's love, God's favor, God's truth, the life that we have received, we pour out into the lives of others. On our altar today are a few things that I just want to point out to you. These are gifts that we received last week from the kids we had the chance to meet. And one of the amazing things about being in Guatemala for me is that I get to be there on your behalf. I am there and I know with every single moment, every single interaction, I am representing the 7,000 members of this church. And that is such an honor for me 
to be in that place and to speak a word for you and to hear their words and have the chance to come back and and to share them with you. When we were at the Perseverance group, when I introduced myself, uh, I said, uh, Miyamo S. S. David. Um, I can't remember how I said the rest of it, but I said, I'm the pastor of the church. The, The translator then shared that with them, and their eyes lit up like the Pope just walked into the room. It was kind of weird. But it was that moment where I just, I felt, I was so humbled by the fact that they were excited that the pastor was there and I got to say, I'm here not just on my own behalf, but on behalf of all of you. And these are gifts that they gave to me to share with you. This is a, 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 a something that they uh, knitted together that says souvenir from the Perseverance group. They presented this to me. This was from another group that shared this uh, with me. This is one of the aprons that one of the kids made that I bought uh, for my daughter. Here's a card uh, that they gave, uh, another card that was made with their picture. This is one of the groups that is about to graduate. Uh, This is from one of the trips that they took together up to one of the volcanoes, a picture there uh, of the kids who had gone on that great journey together. This was something that that a girl named Jessica made for you. We were at her home. She made homemade tortillas. We didn't bring any of those back because we ate them all. They were so, so good. But she gave this uh, to you. She presented this as, as her gift. And when she did, this is what she said. She said, this is a small gift. This is a humble gift. But I want to give it to you. And so I, as the pastor, took that, and and then through the translator, here's what I said back to her. This is not a small gift, because any gift that comes from your heart is a gift that is so large. And I told her, I told this entire group and, and the others that these things would be on our altar today, that I would bring them to share them with you. These are their gifts that they wanted to give to you. And so as we come together to recommit ourselves to changing lives, I want you to know that you are uniting yourself with these gifts that have been shared with you from kids who wanted nothing more than to say to you, thank you. Thank you for sacrificing so that they might have a better life. People you don't even know whose lives are now changed on a new path because you said, I can give because God has given to me.